Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents All Eyes on Cleveland. I'm your host, Brad Ward. Today is Wednesday, April 14th, the year 2021. Big day for the Browns today, signing Jindavian Clowney uh, to a one-year deal, uh, up to $10 million. It looks like it's an $8 million deal with $2 million in incentives, and we'll get into that. Uh, as We don't really have the details on all that, but we'll get into that. But first, I want to bring in our, our uh, awesome guest tonight. Uh, Mark Sipis uh, writes uh, for Fan Sided's with the first pick. Uh, did a uh, Browns pre-draft primer. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, bring him on here. Mark, how we doing? Doing great, Brad. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And it's a big day today for the Browns and getting Clowney in here. Yeah, no question, man. Uh, awesome stuff. Uh, kind of break all. We're going to start with Clowney for sure here right off the top. So uh, let's just start with that. So, you know, the, the deal gets done. The Browns, a long courtship here, a couple years back and forth. They actually at one point offered him like $17 million. Uh, there's been rumored to be that they offered him like a three-year $57 million deal last year at one point. Uh, back and forth, they have him in like last Wednesday. He comes back this week, uh, signs the one-year deal. Uh, I, I actually guessed on Twitter, I, I said, I think it'll be about a $10 million deal with incentives. I said six plus incentives. It ends up being eight plus incentives. Almost nailed it. Now, I'm, I'm interested to see if there'll be void years on there and how they're going to roll that signing bonus up, maybe to reduce that cap hit. Uh, and I'll get to a little bit more of that here in a minute. But first reactions to the deal getting done today. Jadavian Clowney signs a one-year deal with the Cleveland Browns. Well, you know, it's no secret that Andrew Barry has been a fan of Jadavian Clowney. Uh, like you had talked about going back to last year even, uh, there was a big Clowney watch in Cleveland. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, looking back, if you're Jadavian Clowney, you know, he unfortunately had that injury, didn't have any sacks, didn't look like he really produced. But we're signing Clowney to be more of a Robin role. In Tennessee, he was Batman. We already have Batman and Miles Garrett. Uh, you know, the, the pressure that Clowney is going to be facing in Cleveland is going to be a lot different than he's had in the past. And if you look at his last couple seasons where he had his most success, he had back-to-back seasons of nine sacks. He had J.J. Watt on the other side. So mm-hmm. I think Clowney is just very good in that secondary kind of, you know, sidekick type of role. And, uh, you know, in terms of money-wise, I'm going to say the incentives are definitely uh, games played based. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe there's some sack incentives, but, you know, with how good of a run defender he is and, and look – if he gets eight to 10 sacks, that's great. But I think more so he's coming in to help stop the run, keep guys fresh along the defensive line. Uh, you know, that's where Tack McKinley is going to come in. You know, we added Malik Jackson, you know, just keep those guys fresh up front. And I think that's going to really help all the players in the long term. Yeah, no question. Uh, I agree. You know, $2 million in incentives. I got to guess at least 1.5 of that is going to be like, uh, roster, you know, games played bonus. Like he'll get a, but he could probably make all 1.5 if he plays like all 17 games. Maybe like a half a million dollars for like a maybe like a sack bonus. 
that was kind of how it was structured last year with the Titans. I actually posted that on Twitter. You can see that on my timeline, the incentives they had in their contract for him. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, you want him to play. Now, I think a big part of this, uh, and see what you think about this, but, you know, people are concerned about the injuries. You know, Clowney is held out. Uh, you know, with the Seattle in the year he played in Seattle and he actually played really well, um, despite not putting up the sack numbers, he still played excellent, excellent football that year. Last year, you know, he was, he was dinged more than often. He played like eight games or whatever. Um, but you know, no training camp either year. He's a guy that doesn't really want to go to camp. It doesn't seem like, um, you know, he, he waits until the last minute Brown signed him to this contract. They should have him in camp, I think, which is huge. I mean, if if you're looking at his injury history and you don't draw a correlation between him being in camp and the injuries, I think that's ridiculous, right? Yeah, and a thing going back to last season in Tennessee, you know, he was the fifth highest double-team edge player in the league, and he was also, I believe, top five – or no, I'm sorry, he was top ten uh, in terms of pressure, right? So – Although the sack numbers aren't there, he's still applying pressure. He's still drawing double teams. He's still not a very effective player. Yeah. Now, that being said, last year with the injuries, he was obviously banged up. And uh, I believe in his press conference or, well, media interview today, he said he feels really good. He's glad he actually stopped playing when he did because of his knee. So I think getting a fully motivated, healthy Clowney. I mean, Clowney probably is looking back in hindsight thinking, I should have probably just signed that three-year deal here last year. (laughs) Yeah. You know, a lot more money, probably more opportunity. So, uh, yeah, I I think the fit is really good. I think he he seemed very impressed with Andrew Barry as well. I, I got the impression that he has a great deal of respect for Andrew Barry and, I mean, yeah, we've seen Mac Wilson on Twitter talking about it. Malik Jackson's talked about trying to get Clowney brought into the team and stuff. And I think he's going to feel a little bit more at home than maybe he did last year in Tennessee, which would, you know, get him to training camp, get him in earlier into the training program. Yeah, and no question. I think that's key that they get this deal done now. Now, Charles Robertson, uh, Charles Robinson, pardon me, of Yahoo Sports, you know, tweeted out a little bit about this deal today, uh, alluding to that. You know, I mean, the Browns cap room was like at like thirteen million. Uh, mm-hmm. They had about six between five and six million dollars free. Uh, now, if they we have, this is why I want to see the details on the contract. If they have void years on this and they rolled the signing bonus up front and they paid him like the veteran base, which is what all teams have been doing in this cap mm-hmm. crunch off season. To, to minimize, I mean, very similar to the Troy Hill deal, right? To minimize the cap impact, they probably wouldn't have to restructure anybody and they'd still have enough money for their draft picks, etc. But if they didn't do that for whatever reason, then you're looking at potential restructure. Now, Robinson tweets out that a restructure is imminent and that, you know, Sheldon Richardson could be a cap casualty. What is your reaction to that? Because I kind of say bullshit to that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think, uh, if anything, you're going to add probably a take maybe Richardson's base pace down and, or base pay down and uh, add a couple years to it. Maybe extend him more so than uh, cap casualty. That makes a lot more sense to me. But I think there's other ways that Andrew Berry can probably maneuver around the cap in order to keep both Richardson and Clowney. 
That's a, I'm glad you brought that up because we got in our mailbag last week a lot of questions about, like, why haven't the Browns restructured Landry? Why haven't the Browns restructured Sheldon? They're all restructure candidates, right? Like, well, my point kind of was I think that Barry doesn't want to restructure any of those, add additional, de- add additional length onto these guys' deals unless he has to, right? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, a couple why, comments. Why do it on why do it if you need to or don't need right. to, you know? He's all about flexibility, right? He wants to be flexible going into next season with the ability, you know, by not restructuring Sheldon and uh, and not restructuring, you know, uh, Landry or, or whatever. Um, I think that it allows them to have flexibility. Like if Sheldon does see a fall off because he is in his thirties, you're not tied to him for any additional years. Why do that if if you if you don't have to, right? Why hamper yourself or tie yourself to somebody unless you don't have have to? So I think if they can avoid, I think Barry would like to avoid restructuring any contracts if possible. That's why I'm interested to see if this deal, if done properly or if done the cap crunch way with void years, et cetera, shouldn't need to be restructured any other but anybody else, right? Like, he could probably get this down if we do some quick math, right? Eight million, you take six of that, putting it as signing bonus, right? And and, and span yeah. that out over four years. That's two plus the one. It may be like a $3 million cap hit, and you're still under your your mark, and you don't have to restructure anybody else on the deal. So I think that that might be jumping the gun a little bit there at, at saying that Richardson could be a cap casualty or even a restructure. I feel like Barry wants that flexibility going into next season, especially with Chubb money potentially on the table and and, and future money that he's going to have to dole out to Denzel Ward and Baker Mayfield, hopefully, uh, that I think he might want that flexibility uh, of being able to say goodbye to a Beckham and freeing up $15 million, or goodbye to a Richardson and freeing up $12 million. What are your thoughts on that? So I've noticed every signing so far that Andrew Barry's had this offseason, I look at the contract and I think, wow, what a great job he did, whether it's yeah. adding the void years the John Johnson deal. I mean, so far, in my opinion, he has not missed yet. So obviously we'll see the full details when the Clowney deal comes out, but I'm not really worried about the cap issues because he's shown every signing so far that he knows exactly what he's doing. They have a full plan that they're going to go with. Now, with Richardson, I was a little bit surprised that they gave Moy Jackson, I believe it was four and a half million dollars. And that was the first time I kind of raised my eyebrows like, hmm, that's interesting okay. because, you know, Andrew Barry knows Moy Jackson from their time in Philadelphia together. Uh, I believe Moy Jackson and Sheldon Richardson are very similar in age, maybe a year apart or so. They so are. in terms of age wise. Yeah. OK, so. uh you know, Jackson has obviously lost a little bit of a step compared to his Jacksonville days. But if push comes to shove and they do need to get Richardson, whether it's a cap or a restructure, however, they do have that Jackson plan to fall back on as well. Yeah. I think Jackson filled the Ogunjobi role, though, in my opinion. So, like, Ogunjobi walks. Jackson's better than Ogunjobi. 
and he fills that role. So I don't. I I think it would be a mistake to let Sheldon Richardson walk, in my opinion. I, my thinking is, and we'll we'll obviously have to see what they end up doing here. Is uh, with Andrew Billings coming back, I, I think he, you know Andrew Billings was pretty pretty good in Cincinnati, and just because he opted out last year, obviously. Browns fans aren't, you know, super familiar with him. Uh, so I'm curious to see if they end up actually starting Billings as maybe like a one tech or a nose and having Richardson yeah. as that three tech and then having Malik Jackson and Jordan Elliott kind of rotate in and out that way. So if that's the way they do go about it, then you could always move Richardson and then maybe uh, a late uh, camp cut or even another rookie this year, which – Actually, we have one in my mock, and I know we'll get to that in a little bit here. But, yeah, you know, they have a lot of different options. And, I mean, the fact that Clowney and Miles can both slide in on the interior, especially in passing situations. Yeah. You know, I think that's very big as well. I mean, okay, so uh, good points there for sure. Uh, you're watching All Eyes on Cleveland uh, um, and uh, – uh, f- special guest Mark Sipis tonight. Uh, he's with uh, with the first pick of Fan Sided. Uh, this is the Browns pre-draft primer, but f- of course we're doing some Jadavi and Clowney react first, and then we're going to get to Mark's article that he wrote on the Browns pre-draft primer. He's got a mock in there, pretty interesting stuff. We're going to break all that down tonight on the show. Uh, hit subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, and the podcast can be found where all popular podcasts uh, are available. Uh, all right, so furthermore, on the client deal, Browns now have three number one overall picks on the roster. The only team in the league with multiple number one overall picks on the roster. So uh, good stuff there. Um Let's take a look at kind of their stable now uh, of this defensive line. You know, we, we talked about some of the depth at, at defensive tackle. They actually, uh, went, later on, I'm going to talk a little bit about the other guy they signed today, which nobody's going to pay any attention to, but Sheldon Day, a guy they brought in last year, and uh, they re-signed him today. But I'll, I'll do that later. Uh, the edge room now basically consists of Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, Tack McKinley. You've got Curtis Weaver, uh, the steal from Boise State. They took, they fleeced Miami on, you know, not paying attention basically. Uh, Porter Gustin, of course, uh, will be back. Uh, you know, I like that that room right there, and I. But there's no long term solution there unless you're going to bank on Curtis Weaver, and I don't think you can do that. So does right. this change the way you approach the draft at all, in your opinion, Mark? Not at all. No. Uh, I mean, Curtis Weaver, I love that they picked him up from Miami. Just like you said, it was a total steal. It was almost like catching Miami sleeping. You know, uh, the fact that they got him in here for nothing is great. However, you're absolutely right. You can't trust him as a long-term option. Uh, you know, he, he's not played a snap in the NFL he slid all the way to the fifth round, I believe, last uh, draft. So, yeah. you know, there's reasons for that, obviously. Uh, Porter Gustin's nice depth, uh, but yeah, I believe the contract he signs only for one year. Uh, McKinley and Clowney are both on a one-year deal. So I don't, if any, I think I'm definitely adding an edge in this year's class. Uh, top three rounds, probably, at least one. 
Uh, again, somebody probably with inside outside versatility just to uh, continue that uh, mix of different athletes, different guys, uh, just being able to confuse the uh, offenses and quarterbacks, just lining up in different things. It can, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these guys on third and long, d- seeing what Joe Woods does with that line. It's going to be sight to see for sure. Yeah. I mean, they can go with that NASCAR set where you, I mean, you could put mm-hmm. three edges out there and uh, a Malik Jackson and really go after speed wise a team. Um, I'm going to kind of let me go off on a tangent here for a minute, okay? So, I mean, the Browns are going to get some pushback on this deal. Some fans aren't going to like this deal because Clowney doesn't, hasn't produced, right? But I would tell them it's, it's disruption, not production, right? He, he's a right. disruptor. He sets the edge. He plays the run incredibly well. Um, and he's a freak athlete, right? We're talking about a former number one overall pick. If there's anybody else on the field that's going to be able to stand out there and look like Miles Garrett, it's this guy. Imagine him and Miles Garrett walking out on the field together. That's crazy, right? right. That's insane. They're talking about two specimens here. Now, why I think that, that uh, Barry has honed in on him is for this reason. And I think he's a good fit scheme-wise, okay, with the Browns. And I think they believe that. I think Joe Woods believes that. But also, besides the scheme fit, when you look at the AFC, Mark, um, and the premier teams in the AFC, you're talking Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, right? Mobile guys that will beat you. Uh, even if you get to the quarterback, right? A straightaway pass rush, they'll elude them and still make the throw down the field. For me, Clowney is the type of guy that even though he's not a high sack number guy, that disruption or the ability to run down these speedy quarterbacks or tackle guys in the backfield is absolutely huge or set the edge or play his role, sit back and, and shadow a guy. He can do all those things that you're going to have to do against mobile quarterbacks, right? Like, you can't run past Patrick Mahomes uh, and leave lanes open for him to run. Clowney is really good at that, right? Like, this is one of those things that he can do. Adding him to this team come playoff time and facing these mobile quarterbacks, I think, is part of maybe one of the main reasons they acquired him. I think that he absolutely adds depth to the room and makes Tack McKinley even more of a force, like because he can just tee off on certain downs, right, uh, mm-hmm. against a, a maybe less mobile quarterback. But when you're facing a guy like Josh Allen or Mahomes, I think that Clowney becomes absolutely vital to slowing that guy down, keeping him in the pocket, and, and kind of hemming him in. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean – at worst, it doesn't hurt, right? Having more speed on the edge. Uh, I mean, not only is Clowney a fast guy, he's huge too. Just like you're saying, he, he's a physical freak of nature. Uh, Miles Garrett might be the, one of the only few guys in the league that makes Clowney look somewhat average, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, Cl- I mean, Clowney, the the speed is going to be huge. Setting the edge, that's what, I think a big reason why he is such a good run defender is he, he's fast and he sets the edge with purpose and with quickness yeah so keeping lamar jackson and we we've seen lamar jackson struggle staying in the pocket making passes that 
and, and Josh Allen, you know, I mean, Josh Allen struggles with that as well. So keeping those type of guys in the pocket, forcing them to throw into our brand new secondary. Uh, I, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's great. Great yeah. fit. I just, yeah. I, and I just, yeah. I think Joe Woods is definitely going to cook up some, some magic this year. I think he got a little, he got a bit of a rough, uh, uh, what is here? Yeah. Yeah. Just a kind of a rough rep. I mean, fans were kind of hard on him a little bit last year, but yeah, he got I mean, he a pretty a bad hand. Yeah. He yeah, got dealt, exactly. a, dealt a tough hand there. Uh, especially with the, the way that the injuries piled up on him. Um, yeah, I mean, I have faith in Joe Woods and, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, at this influx of talent, John Johnson, Troy Hill, you know, Walker, these guys uh, will be key for him, of course, now clowny as well. All right. So in your opinion, is this it for free agency or do you have any other targets out there that you think that they might go after? Uh, you know, say they have a couple million dollars left. Uh, anybody out there in secondary kind of now tertiary uh, free agency uh, is <laughs> disruption is a form of production, and that's absolutely exactly. right, Mark. Uh, yeah. I agree with you one hundred percent. There, uh, I mean, he's a, he's he's a you know Sims always says this about Clowney, and I, when I listen to him, he's a fuck the play up guy, right? Like he's a guy mm-hmm. that will just get back there and screw the play up and make you know guys make quarterbacks make tough decisions all of his tackles in the run game are close to the line of scrimmage so i'm high on the i'm high on the signing especially because it allows guys like Tack McKinley uh Curtis Weaver Porter Gustin to play their role right you're not asking anybody to step out of their role and do something more than they're capable of doing and i think that's kind of what this does for the, that that room um Anybody else in free agency you have that you have targeted, maybe that you like? Uh, you know, I think the only thing left that they might address would be cornerback. You could maybe go get a veteran corner in free agency, either before or after the draft. Uh, I have my eyes on one guy, and I, I've mentioned him a couple weeks now, but I'll go, let you say if you have anybody out there that you think is worth kicking the tires on. So I definitely think cornerback is the – highest priority remaining yes. in the offseason. You can't trust Greedy Williams. Uh, I mean, he had a so-so rookie season, but uh, nerve shoulder injury is not something that you can play it's around scary, with. Right? feel comfortable. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you got to add somebody there. Uh, Terrence Mitchell's gone. I mean, he was, you know, pretty consistent and played a lot of snaps. That's a lot of uh, snaps you're replacing right there. I think he played over 1,000 snaps last year. So. Most, most snaps of any cornerback in the NFL. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of snaps, uh, a lot of football you got to replace. So yes. I, I'm looking at corner, but prior to Clowney, you know, you could talk uh, maybe a guy like a Malcolm Butler or Richard Sherman, but with, with money kind of getting tight now, I'm thinking more of like a Gary on Connolly and that really fits the Andrew Berry type of player, you know, a former first round pick still younger, you know, a type of guy athletic, uh, you know, Conley's had some success, just inconsistent success. I, I think, I mean, it doesn't hurt. He's a hometown kid, went to Maslin. So I think Conley's kind of actually the, the perfect guy I would go for and try and see maybe add him, another high draft pick, uh, a rookie, and then have him greedy and the rookie battle it out. Yeah, you make some good points there that uh, he does fit the mold. You know, you see – 
uh, you're start, we're starting to see the trend now with Barry, right? It's all about um, he, he go go after first-round draft picks that maybe haven't panned out or a guy that, uh, you know, maybe hasn't found the right place yet thinking that this can be the right fit for him uh, and maybe you get some upside. He's, a you know, uh, low-risk, high-reward type signings. You know, five-star guy, five-star recruit guys that maybe have fallen in the NFL under the table, like Porter Gustin, for example, is yep. one of those guys, right? Like he was a five-star recruit. Uh, so uh, Sheldon Day, the guy we're going to talk about today, he was a huge five-star recruit. So you're starting to see the trend there with him. He's looking for guys with you know elite skills and, and size and things that you can't coach that maybe he gets them in the right system, the right coaching, and they take off, right? Uh, exactly. And so I think Conley makes a lot of sense that way. I am, I've been banging the table for Brashad Breland now for a couple weeks. Hmm. Uh, I really like him. Uh, as a corner, as a fit, as a guy that has playoff experience, that gets handsy, he's sticky. He'll, you know, he he gets his hands all over you. He never gets lets any separation. He, I mean, he was a nightmare for the Browns playing the Kansas City in that game. He was all over our receivers who couldn't get any separation in that game because the refs weren't calling anything and they were just holding and holding and holding. But that's playoff football, right? And Breland has been there, and he kind of he's a physical guy that knows his role. And I think that adding him could be a key add maybe for cheap. I can't imagine him going for a ton of money. Maybe he'll go back to Kansas City. I don't know. But I think he's a guy with a lot of value, and I would like to see the Browns see what's there with Brashad Breeland. All right, we're going to kind of change, uh, you know, uh, our away from Clowney here a little bit and take a look at your mock draft and your article. So uh, Mark Sipis, our guest here tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, writes for with the first pick. Um, and uh, it's a fan-sided site, uh, draft site, um, and uh, he was uh, in charge this year of doing the Browns uh, pre-draft primer. We're going to kind of bring this up here, uh, so we'll go ahead and take a look at, at some of the work you did here, but more so, uh, you know, than, than some of this, we want to look at your mock, right? The mocks are fun to look at, and you oh, yeah. have, Mark, a... Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of mocks that are very similar. You have a little bit of an unconventional mock, I think, as far as the Browns go, and uh, I think that's good. So we'll get we'll get a look at that here, okay? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so here here's the article. Go to uh, fan sided. Go to uh, with the first pick. Check it out. Mark Sipis. Uh, this was four days ago. The Duke Browns 2021 NFL Draft Primer. Uh, could Baker get a big target? Uh, so you kind of go over some team needs here. You know, they add, add add talent on the defense side of the ball. They've done that a ton. Uh, you know, you see I've highlighted some of the stuff that you wrote uh, looking for an edge, and then you mentioned Clowney here, the pursuit of Clowney. We know that they've signed him now. So kind of this is, some of this is kind of moot. Now you bring up three guys here, top targets for the Browns. Uh, you like Gregory Rousseau. Go ahead and tell me a little bit about why you like him. <laughs> So with Rousseau, he, uh, whenever I do a mock draft or whenever I write about the Browns, I always try and put myself in the shoes of Andrew Barry. And one of the things that I noticed last year in the draft is he, the high, the oldest draft uh, player he drafted was Harrison Bryan, and he was 22. So Rousseau just turned 21 in April. So this month he just turned 21. Uh, as a sophomore at uh, Miami University, he had 15 and a half sacks. And that was his first uh, 
full season kind of as, as a defensive end because when he was in high school, he actually played receiver and safety. So yep. it's a totally new position to him. Uh, he's just, he's so long. Like if you could build a edge rusher, it would look like Russo. I mean, he's long, he's lean, he's got a great bend to him. Uh, you know, he, he didn't test as great as I thought he would at his pro day. However, he didn't test terribly. Uh, he had a 1.57 10-yard split, which it was, I believe, the, the best in this draft class or tied with the best edges in this draft class. So it was up there, uh, which is a very big thing for edges, you know, getting a burst off the uh, ball at the line of scrimmage. Um you know, add a little bit of weight, probably get a little bit stronger. But the really nice thing about Russo that I like about him is you don't have to start him right away. You can kind of give him time behind Clowney and McKinley, let him develop some more, let him get groomed behind Miles. And then next year when Clowney and McKinley are both free agents, Russo should be ready to step into that opposite edge of Miles. Okay. Yeah, Rousseau's tough. He's, you know, it's tough to kind of value. It's such a weird offseason with these opt-out guys, right? Like guys that didn't play football yep. last year. They've been away flip, from football for an entire year. So that's tough. You know, you want it, you probably want them to show up well at these pro days, especially because they've been away from football for a year, right? So, um, oh, did I screw that? Mikey, are you screwing this up here? By the way, Mikey on the ones and twos tonight, as usual. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, all right. So, uh, I think we're good there. Yep. All right. Um, yeah. So the opt out stuff is tricky, right? Uh, and you got to be careful about that. I think some of these guys getting away from football for a long period of time. I like Rousseau. Um, you make a great point here though, that I will, am going to kind of highlight here is that, uh, Andrew Barry and one of kind of, when you look at their organizational guardrails, which are a couple years old now, one of yep. them just flat out says age matters, right? Um, and uh, they, I think age is a big deal for them. So guys that they want to draft, they want to be young. They don't want to yep. draft 24-year-old guys, and that's kind of part of their guardrails, right? So we know that that's something that they look at. Uh, Andrew Barry and, and D Podesta and, and the the front office, right? So I think you bring up a good point there with Rousseau, uh, JC Horn. Uh, love this guy. Talk a little about a little bit about JC Horn and why you have him on here. So JC Horn's actually my number one rated corner that uh, on my board, uh, both <clears throat> in terms of a Cleveland guy and just overall. Okay. I, I just I love the physicality. I love the um, competitive nature you know he's a, he's a true corner he wanted and guarded the number one guys in the sec so you're talking guys like kyle pitts you're talking Devonte smith you're talking jalen waddle uh you know all those type of guys Kadarius tony uh so he has gone up against the best of the best and he's held up well uh combine that with his testing i believe he had a 9.9 out of 10 or so on the relative athletic scoring, which is just a, a calculator that shows how athletic these guys are. I mean, JC Horn tested through the roof, basically. Uh, he does get a little grabby, but I think that's something that not only 
can be fixed, but you know, it's not as tacky, I guess. In, in college, the problem is he did have five penalties in seven games. That is something that will need to be worked on. But I really think that his talent alone just makes him so intriguing. And yeah. he is just, he's just so athletic. And I just think he'd be such a great fit in our defense. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100 um, percent that he would be a absolute get for sure if they were able to pull that off there. So um, let's make sure. All right. One second here. Okay. Uh, If we are looking at uh, Rashad Bateman here, you have wide receiver Minnesota. We know he's an elite guy, right? Uh, Talk about why you like Bateman for the Browns uh, and why that would be a fit for the Browns. So, again, going back to age, he doesn't turn 22 until November. So that's obviously one of the the bigger ones. Uh, Bateman's actually a little bit bigger than what we have. I think he would walk in, and other than Donovan Peoples-Jones and Kadero Hodge, I guess if you kind of count him towards the receivers, uh, you know, Bateman would actually be one of the bigger ones we have. Uh, You know, Higgins signed a one-year deal. The following year, I believe Landry's contract ends, and then the following year, Odell Beckham's contract ends. So within a span of three years, you lose Baker's top three wide receivers. So getting a guy like Rashad Bateman who can help you not only in the future, but he, he can help you now. I know we run a lot of you know two tight end, three tight end sets, a lot of 12 and 13 personnel, but having a guy like Bateman just waiting in the wings and – learning from Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and competing with guys like Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, you can have him in a four wide receiver set and be very, very comfortable with him as a rookie. And unfortunately you, you do have to think about Odell's injury history that he has. Unfortunately, you know, he missed quite a bit of time last year, Uh, 2019 he played, but he was also injured. So just something you unfortunately have to keep in the back of your mind. And, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this earlier. Uh, you know, Beckham, $15 million might end yep. up being a cap casualty. Maybe with Jarvis as well, depending on the cap situation, what we end up doing, he might be another guy that you could even look into moving for cap purposes as well. Uh, but I think Bateman, I mean, and it's also just a talent aspect. I mean, he's a very good wide receiver. I mean, he's very, very crisp on his routes. Uh, I mean, yards after catch, he's not going to beat you because he's athletic. He's going to beat you because he's tough and he wants it more than you. You know, I like those type of guys. Yeah, so uh, I like him too uh, a lot. Obviously, uh, there's not much not to like there with Bateman. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your draft strategy here before we get into your mock, okay? So, you know, Brown's draft strategy, and I've kind of talked about this with the past couple guests. You know, there's a lot of people out there that will pound the table for best player available no matter what. Uh, there's guys that will say, you know, it's all about need. Uh, there's guys that will stick to their board no matter what, right? Uh, but, you know, when push comes to shove, I think it's kind of a mix. But I also think a key factor, and, and it, I won't take credit for this because it wasn't me who said it. It was Jake Burns was on the show, and I asked him the hmm. question, and he said, it's it's a combination of best player available and uh 
position of value. So there's positions that are more valuable than they're not all created equal, right? Like offensive right. linemen and linebackers and running backs certainly do not have the value that wide receivers, defensive ends, cornerbacks have quarterback, but that's not in our, in our really in our wheelhouse anymore. But those I other three know. positions, right? Cornerback edge wide receiver are positions of high value for the, for for any team, right? So I think that you have to take that into account, and that's what you hit there, edge, cornerback, wide receiver. And and I think that when you're looking at the Browns, and, and I'm sure, certain that Andrew Barry is looking at and we've talked about succession plans, right? You have to have a succession plan at wide receiver. So if a guy comes to you at 26 that's elite, like Bateman, and he's the guy, his highest guy on your board. I think you're in a position now after Clowney that you can go ahead and draft a guy like that and be okay. So uh, I think yep, that exactly. that is part of what this Clowney was, uh, you know, acquisition was all about. Now, before we dive into your mock here, okay, I do think though there is no long-term answer at Edge, even though you've acquired mm-hmm. Clowney. You know, Tap McKinley is not the long-term answer. You know, maybe Weaver, but we don't know that. I have no problem with them going edge at 26 again if the right guy is there, okay? Uh, oh, yeah. Now let's take a look at your mock here, okay? And and we'll kind of just hit very shortly on each player here, okay? Uh, yep. You kind of give me your comments, and then I'll kind of comment on what my thoughts are here. You go, you know, round one, pick 26, Jalen Phillips. This is a guy that tested out of this world right at his pro day uh you know i hate the saying flying up draft boards because you know what has changed between the players last game and now nothing right so why should they be flying up draft boards but you know he's a trendy pick right now because of the elite numbers uh at his pro day uh talk talk a little bit while you why you have phillips at 26 so Former five-star recruit, turns 22 late May, uh, just athletic freak. I mean, just an elite, elite athlete. Yes. Uh, he's so smooth in his attack. Uh, his attack. He's very powerful. Uh, he's big. He's six foot five, 260 pounds. That's yep. great size. There's the big elephant in the room, and it's the concussions. Yeah. Now – or fortunately for me, I don't have to make that decision as a doctor. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, UCLA, I, from my understanding, from what I've read, UCLA's got a very specific th- three concussions in your out. So it's, it's tough. And I, Phillips has posted that he was fully healthy in Miami, which is great. I mean, that's definitely a good sign. But if Cleveland's doctors are comfortable with them, then I'm comfortable with them. And I think Phillips is the best edge in this draft class. And I think he'd be a, just a ideal fit across from miles as that five year contract rookie edge opposite of that big contract. Yeah. So you make great points. I do think he potentially is the best edge in the draft. I gotta be honest with you, Mark. I wouldn't touch him with a 10 foot pole. I, I can't do it uh, with the injury risk at, at, at this pick. Right. Like I just can't yeah. do it. Like, you know, I get it. Yeah. I, I 
three concussions and you're out, and that may be different, and they may evaluate it differently, but, you know, playing the edge position in the NFL is a car crash every play, right? Like, this guy's uh-huh. going to get another concussion. I mean, let's be real about it, right? Like, and at that point, you're all, you're, his, his career is in jeopardy, right? So, uh, I... As elite as he is, I just can't do it. I don't even, even if the doctor said, oh, he's good, this and that, but he's good until he hits his head again, right? Like, I mean, sure, I just can't do it. But I I, I see where you're going 100% with the elite, you know, the elite uh, yeah. uh, guy that he is. Definitely. I like that in your Mac here, in your mock here, this is a little bit different. You go wide receiver at 59, which is different from what we've seen, right? Explain to me mm-hmm. why you like Elijah Moore at 59. So I, I think something that drew a lot of attention earlier in the offseason, but then kind of fell into the back burner with all these signings and stuff is Andrew Barry said he wanted to add speed. And must. I, oh, that's what Elijah Moore does. And both offense and defense side of the ball. But I mean, Elijah Moore brings something that our receiving core doesn't have. And that's just a, a pure speed burner. Uh, I mean, Elijah Moore also has great hands. He had two drops uh, last season where he went uh, had 86 catches, almost 1,200 yards, and eight touchdowns. So he's got great hands, very, very tough. He's uh, taking some shots over the field. Uh, I, he's probably got a future in the slot more so than outside. But yes. I think there's the, the way he can take the top off of a defense, you can probably throw him out there you know, a little bit, but his home's going to definitely be in the slot. And I think just running uh, different jet sweeps and things like that, that Kevin Stefanski has shown in the past, I think that's right up Elijah Moore's alley too. Yeah, I agree. He he seems like a good fit. Uh, he adds that speed element at 5'9", 178. I don't really care about his size because I just think they need to add speed in general. Right. Uh, and, and, and he's a highly rated guy, right? Like, he's a good, really good route runner. He's going to stretch the field. Uh, I like I like him as a player, certainly. Uh, you know, he, he's highly ranked on most people's, uh, uh, you know, boards. Uh, you know, so I, I think that that would be a good pick. Now, you know, very interesting again here at round three, pick 89. So the Browns' third pick in the draft as in day two, you know, in the first two days, they have four picks, which is nice, right? Uh, mm-hmm. No, six. Is it six? No, it's four. One, two, four. In the first, uh, yeah. Yeah, because they end around, they have two in round three, one first and the second. Uh, yeah. So, but, yeah, Jamar Johnson, safety, Indiana, you know, pro football-focused darling here. They love this guy, uh, you know, and uh, tell me why you went with safety w- with the third pick here. So, Jamar Johnson's one of my favorite players in the entire class. Uh, yeah. And Shocker turns 22 in November. Right. Uh, he had, he has some versatility. He played slot cornerback in 2019, and then moved back to uh, deep safety in 2020. Uh, one thing I do like about him too is he actually has experience in a four-two-five. That yes. actually would be a, a, a great fit. Uh, you know, I, I actually see him as a perfect backup to John Johnson as a free safety. Now, John Johnson is obviously a little bit more versatile; can kind of line up in the box and stuff, but. Uh, you know, 
Ohio State fans might remember Jamar Johnson because he had two great plays against Justin Fields this past year, uh, two interceptions. Yeah, um, yeah he, he's a playmaker. He has seven interceptions uh, and only 796 snaps. And uh, I just I just really like his talent, his coverage skills, and the way he can flip his hips on a dime and quick is just unbelievable. Um. Interesting comments from a real quick our comment section yeah, here. Yeah, looking at Yeah, so uh, big time Brown says you know Denzel Ward still dances around the concussion issue, and, and I think that Logan makes a good point here that I mean playing corner is a completely different story than than playing edge. I would agree, uh, but I do agree that I was frightened for my you know I was very worried about Ward. After his rookie year, I think he mm-hmm. had two or three concussions his, in his rookie season, uh, but he has not had really an issue with it since then, I don't believe. Um, his injuries have been more soft tissue since then. And, yeah. and Logan makes a good point there that cornerback, you're not going to – but, yeah, you know, you're on the football field, you're going to get hit in the head. I, I understand the concern there, you know, in a good comment from both of you, I think, on that topic. Uh, you know, going back to Jamar Johnson here, he's a he's a freaking stud, man. He's a stud. I love this pick for you. It's a smart move because you make some good points, and I'm I'm gonna go back here. Sorry, I'm switching around from page to page here, so bear with me, Mikey. Uh, all right, so you know, I highlighted right here injury concerns are something to keep in mind. This is your writing here, as Grant Delpit is coming off of an Achilles tear. Uh, while Ronnie Harrison is yet to play a full schedule going into his fourth NFL season. 2019 fourth-round pick Sheldrick Redwine has shown flashes, but has been inconsistent so far in his two-year career. I'm not a fan of Redwine. I don't think he's long for the roster even, uh, to be hmm. honest with you, uh, especially if they added a guy like this. But either way, um, Jamar Johnson makes sense in that aspect. Uh, I, I think he's a stud and he fits because he's a guy that, you could even rotate into this, you know, if he's good enough, if he's as good as advertised, you could rotate him into this, you know, uh, the, the threesome of Harrison, Delpit, and, and Joe Johnson, uh, John Johnson the third. God, Jamar Johnson, John Johnson, what a mess. <laughs> yeah, that I know. Would be, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, either way, uh, you know, he could rotate in there, get in that. He played in that 4 2 5 scheme we're talking about. Uh, you know, he, he would be a fit certainly. And you, you guys are going to get, get dinged. And I would prefer to keep Sheldrick Redwine far away from the field. So, uh, <laughs> I, I am, uh, cool with that. Uh, and then, so, so you don't address here and let's take a look at this. So probably I, in my opinion, the Browns biggest need, but you don't address it till pick number four, which is interesting, but I really like the player you go with here, Thomas Graham. Junior cornerback, Oregon. Go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, so uh, I, one of, again, one of my favorite guys that just when I was doing the mock draft fell to me. Uh, I, something I really like about Graham is, although he uh, isn't 22 until June, he also has uh, 39 career starts in college, which is something that I really like for cornerbacks. Uh, you know, Graham's a scheme diverse guy. He can play a little bit inside and outside. Now, Graham doesn't have any experience in the slot, but I, I think his footwork and quickness will definitely allow him to shift inside if possible, uh, if needed. Um, Graham's got a little bit of a 
competitive fire, you know, a little bit of a confidence type of deal. Uh, and I really like that in my corners as well. Now he's not an athletic freak by any means. And then, you know, he's not going to, you know, his agility scores were kind of lower. Um, he's not a super fast guy, but his IQ that he is able to sit on receivers hips, basically watch them do their routes. I mean, he's kind of, you know, glue to paper sort of um i really like adding him if we do add a guy like a gary on Connolly or even like a breland i think graham would be at worst just good depth i almost compare him actually to another terrence mitchell just uh not a super athletic guy but is just going to be really consistent for you okay very good uh you go with him there now no you know addressing the comment section again i think that jim you know uh Big time Brown's commenting here that he would rather look for a guy that can play the role of uh, Ronnie Harrison, right? I think that's what he said. Uh, play the role of Harrison. I think Jamar Johnson can do that. I mean, this is a guy that's very flexible, right? So we're not just talking about a backup for Joe Johnson. He can certainly play that role as well, I think, right? Yeah, he does have a little bit of tackling issues, but in terms of size-wise, he's 6'1", 6'2", 205. So, I mean, he's got the size to do it. Improve okay. your technique a little bit, and I think he should be fine. And not to play spoiler, but here in a few picks, we'll actually talk about a potential uh, Harrison backup as well. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't want to, uh, you know, bury the lead there. Uh, as uh, he's, kind of, you know, big time Browns. I, I love the participation and, and keep it up, brother. Uh, but uh, you kind of uh, you're hitting all these names here and uh, we're going to we're going to hit to uh, don't worry about the typos, brother. Uh, but uh, appreciate the participation. I think you're going to see one of those names here shortly, actually. So uh, let's uh, let's keep on uh, filing through here as uh, I love this pick. Right. So. First, the Browns with two fourth-round picks. Milton Williams, interior defensive line, Louisiana Tech, 9.6 out of a possible 10 uh, in the relative athletic score, those little boxes that you see on Twitter all the time. Uh, yeah, this uh, guy is uh, uh, one of my favorites uh, if you're going to go uh, address defensive tackle. So talk, talk about uh, why you like him for the Browns. Grown men that size should not be able to move how he moves. That's <laughs> exactly. the first thing that yeah, I mean, exactly. it's just unbelievable. Just it very, is. very scary. Um I, the only there the one issue I have with Millen Williams, I actually would love to get your thoughts on this as well, is he's kind of a tweener for me. You know, he, he he's two hundred and eighty pounds, so yeah. he can play both and that might be something that is good for us though, you know, because I all night long I've been talking about inside outside versatility, you know. Uh you know, Sheldon Richardson and Malik Jackson both have a year left on their contract, both over the age of 30. Millen Williams, now he uh, had a couple you know, good years in college, but more so the back half of 2020 was when he really stepped it up. So I think there's uh, more improvement in his game. He's, it's definitely more of a potential type of pick. Uh, I... I'm torn on how I'd want to move with him forward. Uh, do do you add ten to fifteen pounds and you yeah, know kind of beef him up as a three tech, yeah. or or is it going to be more of a 
and let's trim down five to 10 and make you as a full-time edge. I, I like the versatility. I, I think maybe having him on the inside and with a possibly a possibility of kicking out is probably his best future, but with a guy that talented and that athletic, it's hard not to take him, especially in the fourth round like that. Yeah, it's athletic specimen stuff you can't coach for sure. Like this guy a lot. I think that you would probably, I I would want him to put on a couple pounds and stay inside. Honestly, uh, I don't yeah. think you. I mean, Sheldon Richardson has shown the ability. Malik Jackson throughout their career have shown the ability when yeah. called upon to go play edge. They have done it right. So right. it's not like you're saying he can't ever do it. But I would probably want him to play closer to 300 pounds, wouldn't you? Yeah. I, and I, he definitely seems like the type of guy that he can add 15 to 20 pounds and not lose much athleticism. If No, man. With, with the way this guy moves, it's freakish, and I, I like him a lot. And I think the adding depth, uh, you know, when we talk about succession plans for the Browns, one of the areas that you're going to have to address in the future, and you can start doing it now and getting them reps kind of uh, is, you know, with Sheldon and Malik Jackson's age and not not potentially, you know, long, not contract, you know, attached to the the, the organization, uh, I think adding a guy like this makes a lot of sense uh, as far as looking down the road, and I'm sure that's something Andrew Barry is doing. Uh, this year is an interesting uh, one here. This is a guy that is has a ton of talent, uh, but uh, let's talk about uh, your second pick in the fourth round. You you go edge for the first time in the in the, well actually the second time in the draft. Your first overall pick with Jalen Phillips. Uh, but uh, Deyo O Yingbo Odangbo Deyo Odangbo Yeah. Okay. So uh, Odangbo is actually one of my favorites as well. And I was really, really happy that he fell to the fourth round when I was doing this draft. Uh, he's huge. Six foot five, six foot six, 200. He actually test, uh, weighed in at 285 pounds at six foot five. So maybe a little bit heavier than he was listed at Vanderbilt, but uh, he's long. He's got a lot of twitch to himself. He yeah. uh, sets the edge on the outside. Uh it, the the biggest concern for me right now, other than the uh, he actually tore his Achilles in January, so this is going to be uh, a red shirt type of season for him. Just put him on the IR, let him have a full year to get back into shape, get healthy. Um, but he was also in a three four at Vanderbilt, and he, he didn't dominate as much as his size and athleticism would suggested that he should have. So I, I think a, a move to a better scheme and being a hundred percent and just kind of learning from Miles Garrett, from JV on Clowney, I think just the talent that he has and just the length and stuff, he would be a great addition. And he, he's a different type of edge compared to Jalen Phillips. So this is a, this is the this is the kind of guy that would have gone much earlier in the draft if he did not tear his ACL in January, uh, right? Uh, I think I'm right on uh, yeah. that. Yeah, uh, so, Achilles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He probably would have tested out, out of the building and probably would have been right. second or third. So he's a long term he's a long term commitment kind of 
uh, one of those, you know, low-risk, high-reward guys, 6'6", 276, great burst, great quick, great twitch, like you said. I mean, this guy would have been, you know, first or second round for sure if he doesn't tear his Achilles, as you said, in January. Now, you know, you maybe, as you mentioned in your article here, redshirt him, kind of uh, let him get get right uh, get some snaps here and there, learn from the guys that are there, and, but he's a, a potential long-term solution there. But you're investing in his talent uh, in hopes that he recovers properly there. Uh, kind of a, a interesting pick, but I like it. You know, uh, certainly a guy that could help you in the long run. Uh, now here's a pick that I really like, and I think that Big Time Browns is going to like here uh, yeah. with uh, this next pick. So, uh, Mikey, can you get me back to the other screen? There you go, sir. Thank you. All right. Uh, the, here we are at pick uh, round five, pick 169, uh, Diablo, right? Is that how you say his name? Diablo? Yep, find Diablo. Yeah, I love that, right? Uh, that's uh, what, uh, Spanish for the devil? <laughs> I was not very good at Spanish, so I'm pretty sure Diablo is Spanish for the devil. Anyways, safety slash linebacker, Virginia Tech. Uh, this guy uh, I like a lot. He's a, he's your hybrid guy, right? This is uh, this guy's straight out of Joe Woods. Uh, uh, if he could, uh, you know, craft a player, this is the guy that he would craft, right? Yeah, this is your your Harrison backup right here, definitely yes. a, a type of guy that can play in the box. Uh, he ran a four four five forty, and being six foot three, two hundred twenty six pounds, pretty dang impressive for having that That's straight nasty. line speed. Yeah, and you know, keeping him at safety, even though his agility and explosion scores were pretty uh, low in that regard. Being a box safety, though, I mean, that's just basically a, a faster linebacker, sort of. So, in the simplest way. Um, yep, there you go, big-time Browns. Uh, mm-hmm. So, having a guy with that speed eh, would be great. And the thing I really like about Diablo is he has over 700 career special team snaps. And with us losing Tavier Thomas and Tay Davis in free agency. Oh, there you go, yep. 739 snaps, okay. Uh you know, having those that experience the special team as a fifth rounder, he might not get much playing time on the defensive side of the ball, but on special teams, I think he's just going to be just an absolute stud for them. Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense too. Where you're taking him in the draft, his potential value in the future, and his ability to uh, jump in and fill special teams right away. Something the Browns. You know, that hasn't been mentioned a lot, but something that the Browns certainly need to improve was their special teams last year, right? Was not yep. great uh, hmm. as a whole. No. Uh, and, you know, guys like Tavier Thomas gone, uh, and I know you're going to mention uh, maybe a replacement for him potentially here in a minute, but uh, hmm. that certainly uh, is something that these guys should uh, be able to fill in at. All right, another interesting pick from you. Very interesting picks all the way through. I, I love a uh, non-conventional mock, right? Uh, so, uh, round six, pick two eleven. Uh, Josh Imatu Bebe, Imator Bebe. Sounds that right. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, inventory baby. Love these. This the numbers right here that you have. I have highlighted here 46.5 inch vertical, 
24 bench press. Uh, started his career at USC, transfers to Illinois. Uh, talk about him. Uh, you have him as the Browns lotto ticket guy, right? Yeah, so actually these last two picks are a little bit unconventional for me as well. Uh, I, I went more of type of types of guys that are just super raw athletically, but they might not fit the true Andrew Barry format. So, for example, I'm a uh, tour BB is uh, 23 this month, so a little bit older than what we've seen in the past. However, the athleticism's hard to ignore. I mean, 46 and a half feet. I mean, he almost jumped four feet. I mean, that's just insane. Uh, good straight line speed. He's a little bit bigger than what we have. He's uh, six foot, 220 pounds. Uh, his first year at Illinois, he had uh, 19 yards per reception, nine touchdowns. This past year, they actually ran the ball more than they passed. Uh, pair that with some inconsistent quarterback play and, you know, your numbers are going to go down. And obviously a shortened COVID season as well. Uh, you know, he, he needs to kind of learn just how to play football. He needs to learn how to track the ball in the air. He needs to really sharpen his routes. It's going to take a year or two for him to get really, really comfortable. But I think it, just the explosion app uh, and speed that he has is just – it's too tantalizing to not take in the sixth round here. Yeah. Interesting guy. Certainly an interesting guy. Um, you know, he's not on, you know, he's not on. Certain people evaluate him differently. Like, you get a wide variety of evaluations on this guy, right? Like, he's not on mm-hmm. some guy's list at all, and he's a lot higher on some other guy's list. Uh, like you said, the physical skills um, are, are seem to be there. Uh, but yeah, like you have him, you know, he's a, he's a lottery ticket at this stage of the draft. And, and I agree with that. And, you know, I don't have a problem with them taking a chance on a guy there. Uh, we'll talk a little bit a, a little more about that here in a minute when we wrap this up. And I have a couple other things I want to hit with you before we let you go. But if that's all right with you, uh, Mark, yeah, uh, you are watching all eyes on Cleveland tonight. We hit Jadavian Clowney react. Uh, with Mark Sipis uh, of uh, Fan Sided's with the first pick. Uh, please hit the subscribe button if you're watching uh, on YouTube, and you can listen to the podcast uh, presented by Blue Wire Hustle, where all popular podcasts are found. Uh, back to Mark's mock draft here, which you can find at uh, Fan Sided's with the first pick. Uh, this is the Browns, his uh, Browns pre-draft primer. As we are wrapping up the mock here, Robert Rochelle, cornerback, Central Arkansas, with the Browns' last pick in the seventh round. Talk about Rochelle here. Yeah, I first really started noticing Rochelle when I was watching some Trey Lance tape, uh, and he just really stuck out to me. And just the more I dug into him, the more I really liked him. Just a very, very athletic guy. Uh, had a 9.65 RAS score out of 10. Yeah. Very, very athletic. Uh, he is a little bit out of that age range again. He uh, turned 23 this month as well. However, just he's so athletic. And the issue with Rochelle right now is the reason he was so good at the Division II level was he was by far the most athletic guy. In the NFL, there's going to be guys that are – comparable athletic wise he's not he's not a technician he's not somebody who's going to have perfect form so bringing a guy in like that and just 
putting him basically last on the depth chart at cornerback, but having mm-hmm. him on special teams would yeah. just be somebody to just to develop on that back end. But yeah. I mean, his athleticism would make him just absolutely awesome on special teams. Yeah, you know, he's he could be a special teams guy with his athleticism, and he's raw as far as, uh, you know, his corner, you know, uh, he's not polished, you know, as a corner, and that's something, though, that can come when after you draft him and, and something that you're going to get with maybe a seventh-round pick, right? So uh, right. good job there. Uh, you know, I, I like a lot of your picks here, uh, Mark. Uh, you know, let me get – Mikey, can we get uh, back to uh, the regular screen here, buddy? Thank you, sir. All right. So uh, good job by Mikey there. Thanks, buddy. Uh, And then, you know, so I like your your mock a lot, Mark, uh, in in that it's unconventional. Um, If if I run through it here a little bit, I I just – okay, so here's where I – I don't like the Jalen Phillips pick just because of the injury concern. I think he's a freak. I think he's a great player. But I just wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole because of the injury stuff. I think that the Browns need to address corner, I guess, probably sooner than you do in the draft. And, and mm-hmm. I guess that would be one issue that I have. I think that... With this corner class, which is a deep corner class, you could go at pick 59 and get uh, a guy that can probably start or if Greedy has another injury issue. I mean, the the stuff with the, the Greedy scares me, right? That mm-hmm. the, the nerve stuff is no joke. Uh, and I think that, you know, getting a replacement for him or getting somebody that can contribute as a wide corner. Uh, you know, we know Troy Hill can, can slide out there, but I'm, I'm drafting two corners in the first five rounds in this draft. If I'm, if I'm Andrew Barry, cause I want a guy that is better than MJ Stewart to back up Troy Hill. Cause for me, MJ Stewart's slow and short and, and, and I just need a better athlete in there uh, to back up Troy Hill in the slot. And I need a corner that can play if Greedy doesn't work out. That's why I mentioned Brashad Breeland earlier. But I think I, I'm leaning towards, you know, probably now that the Clowney deal is done. And I know you did this before that. But tell me what you think about this. I mean, I think that these nine picks, nine guys aren't going to make this roster. So if I'm the Browns, I'm taking draft capital and going up to get the guy I want in the first round. Or if the guy you want falls to you at 26, that gap between 26 and 59 is like going to be a perfect area to get the kind of edge or corner you want that can contribute for you. Go up and get the guy that you're in love with there. Uh, and I think that those two picks and, and, and being aggressive there to get edge corner or wide receiver corner there makes a ton of sense for me. Uh, you know, by the time you've addressed the end of day two, and, and you basically did this because you hit edge wide receiver safety corner, um, I think that, the, that you know, with the exception of safety maybe there. And Jamar Johnson is a guy I love, so I can't really complain there. Uh, but 
Um, I think that I would probably think more along the lines of like, you know, cornerback, edge, wide receiver, interior defensive line maybe is kind of what I would think. But, uh, you know, or corner again even just because his class is so deep. But I love the unconventional mock. I think that they do need to address wide receiver. I love it that you do it at two. I think if they're, they, they've put themselves in a position, Mark, uh, Barry has, that he can take a receiver that he loves that, that high at this point in the draft because they, they could really run their defense out right now and be cool, right? Uh, yeah. I just think my main concern is that, that outside corner spot. Um, let's see what Big Time Brown is saying here. Sean Wade, Kerry Vincent Jr., Darren Hall, Ambry Thomas, uh, all as backup nickel corners. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a, yeah, that I'm an Ambry Thomas I, fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I like a ton of these corners in this draft. Uh, let me let me bring some guys up here that that uh, uh, I won't. I don't have to bring them up and show it to you, but we can just kind of look at some of the corners that I think might be there real quick, and and then we'll get you out of here. I want to get your reaction to what I'm saying here. Uh, about this uh, stuff. Oh, that's not what I wanted uh, here. Bear with me. Okay, so we know Sertain uh, is going to be probably gone, uh, you know, in the top 10, top, you know, probably. I think Horn might be off the board before the the Browns draft at 26. But Greg Newsom, I love a ton. If Farley falls to them with his back issue, uh, I think he's a guy that uh, you could certainly think about at 26. I really love those guys there. If those guys aren't there and Aziz Ojolari is there uh, at 26, I'm drafting him, right? Like, I love the, the uh, Ojolari, Newsom, Farley uh, for guys that I'm targeting at 26. Uh, and, uh, you know, in in that second round, there, I, I like, you know, uh, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. could be there. Uh, I, I don't know if Tyson Campbell will be there. I really love Tyson Campbell as a corner uh, for Melifonwu the outside. Melifonwu will probably be there. Yeah, Melifonwu will be there. Uh, but, uh, you know, Tay Gowan is a guy that I'm absolutely in love with his size and freakish length. Uh, but, you know, he may last longer in the draft because he's a little raw. But, uh you know, big fan of Tyson Campbell. Maybe if he if he's there in the second round, I'm trying to scoop him up. I you know I just think that they have they took Campbell and a lot of guys like Stokes too, the other guy from Georgia. But Tyson mm-hmm. Campbell from Georgia, you know, they sent him out there time after time on guys um, like Devonte Smith. And and the Jamar Chase and said, you just just go guard him, you know, yeah, on an right, island. Fun. Yeah, and, and he was right in their pot hip pocket. Uh, he's got that straightaway speed that uh-huh. uh, that is hard. You can't teach. Uh, you know, he's got those greasy hips. To me, he's an outstanding corner that a lot of people uh, are missing on, and I think that the key they could scoop him up in in that second round, or maybe even go up and get him if he's there. I would love that because I think he's an elite guy that some guys don't evaluate the same way. Hmm. So uh, yeah, so circling back, uh, you know, I, I did like you had mentioned, uh, did the draft before the clowning signing. Um, uh, the thing with Ojulari that 
Uh, yeah, I, I bring a different aspect is uh, Porter Augustine was our lightest edge last year. He weighed 257 okay. pounds. Olajari large, large is uh, about 10 pounds less. So, yeah. I, th- so it's just a facade. Yeah, I think Asai, actually, he weighed in a little bit higher than I thought. I think he was around 255 or so. Yeah. So that was a little bit surprising, actually, compared to what he was listed. But that's just something I've noticed from Barry is he he likes bigger edges like that. I agree. And I I think that here's the thing with Ojolari and and Asai that I like is is just – when you're playing in this scheme, right, and and some will say that those guys are more of an outside linebacker edge than a mm-hmm. than a four three edge, but I I mean you put if you watch Ojolari, he puts his hand in the ground and he has that bend, he has that mm-hmm. that get off, and Osai is flies. I mean Osai's burst in speed is, is insane, and I think he's a guy that could be there in the second round as well. So that's why I like those guys, and I think that the weight issue is something that is easily fixed in the NFL. You get in the NFL weight room, you want them to put on 15, 20 pounds, they can do it and, and play that mm-hmm. edge opposite Miles Garrett. So I like Ojolari, I like Asai, I'm not scared off those guys because of their weight, but I understand where you're coming from. Sure. I think that what you did a really good job of, Mark, is, you know, in your mock, you did a really good job of looking at Barry's guardrails and trying to predict what he will do, right? Age, what what he likes, five-star, you know, traits, uh, guys that, uh, you know, uh, that he likes weight-wise, age-wise, size-wise, what fits the roster. You did a really good job of doing that, uh, and, and you also accounted for the future, right? Elijah Moore... Uh, Jamar Johnson and filling in spots that that uh, make sense. Milton Williams, of course, uh, the guys that uh, you know fit future wise, and even addressed you know special teams with Diablo and and Imator Bebe and Rochelle. So I think it's a great mock, very interesting to break down, and I think you did a really good job on this piece. I know you're really proud of it, and I think it's awesome stuff. It, you know, everybody go check it out at uh, Fan Sided uh, with the first pick. Uh, and it's his pre-draft primer, Mike Sipis, or pardon me, Mark Sipis. Uh, uh, follow him at Twitter, uh, at Mark underscore Sipis4. Uh, and Mark, we're going to send you an All Eyes on Cleveland t-shirt for coming on the show, brother. All right. Hey, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, of course. So we'll have you DM uh, uh, me your – so we just sent one, and I have to bring this up. that So we had Troy Hill on the show after he signed, right? And, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, so we, we sent him and his representation. They're all eyes on Cleveland T-shirt. So we hope to see, keep your guys' eyes out for uh, Troy Hill. Maybe he'll wear the shirt, like, somewhere where you oh, can yeah. see him. So I already talked to his representation. I was like, take a picture of him if he's ever wearing it. Nice. And send it to me. So, uh, you know, uh, we've had, had Eric Metcalf, uh, you know, was wearing one once. So we'll say, we'll send you one, uh, and, uh, uh, for coming on the show, but kudos on the, on the Browns, uh, pre-draft primer piece. Uh, I, you know, I just kind of wanted to throw you some of my thoughts on the draft and, and get your react on that stuff. I think you make a good point about those guys' weights. Any final thoughts for us before we get you out of here, Mark? Yeah, I just, you know, I, I like 
taking looks at different mock drafts and different perspectives, you know, trying to put really? myself in other people's shoes, you know, just like Andrew Barry and think a little bit outside the box. And I, I think that uh, Andrew Barry is a tough one to crack too. I, I is, you know, last year, last year I thought I had him kind of an idea about him and I did not. So I think this year I, I learned a lot more about what his, uh, idea and philosophies are and uh yeah hey it's a lot of fun to do you know i mean especially now that we're coming off a playoff win and looking like we're uh, pretty close to being a contender and uh yeah it's a lot of fun i really appreciate you having me on yeah thanks a lot yeah man we'll have you back for sure and uh you did a great did a great job awesome job tonight uh and uh really well done so uh, we'll get you up and out of here. I'll get your info. And uh, big thanks, supplies, and thanks for Mark. I appreciate you, brother. Uh, and uh, we'll be right back with the uh, finish up here tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland after the short break. Mikey, can you get me out of here? Mikey. We're back. All eyes on Cleveland Wednesday night. Uh, pre-draft primer edition from Mark Sipus of With the First Pick. Big thanks to Mark coming on, uh, you know, lending us his piece to break down uh, and take a look at his mock draft. Um, and just kind of, uh, you know, he, he did a really good job of staying within the Barry guardrails. And I, and I think he did a really good job of putting himself in those shoes. And it's an unconventional mock, and I love taking a, a look at some unconventional stuff sometimes. It's not the same cookie-cutter stuff that we see every week from the mainstream guys. So well done from Mark there, and he did an excellent job on the show. I'm so We'll get on that T-shirt and have him back. As I mentioned, Troy Hill got his, his uh, All Eyes on Cleveland T-shirt. When he was on the show, if you recall, he said he wanted to wear uh, the number 23 today. We see on his Instagram on the placard the number twenty three with the with the Browns. So Troy Hill will wear number twenty three for the Browns. Uh, you know, friend of show, and you know, I've stated communication with his representation, so they got their T shirts. Hopefully, they'll you know wear the all eyes on Cleveland T shirts. It'd be pretty cool. So, uh, but yeah, he got number twenty three. We talked about that. You know, that he kind of let that slip with. Is Sendejo going to be here? This and that, right? And uh, we didn't really know what that was all about because uh, he brought up Sendejo uh, having the number, and we were kind of like, wait a minute, are they going to bring back Sendejo here in, in the future? And uh, But he does have the number now that's been assigned to him as he posted that on his Instagram, uh, uh, the placard, I think, by his locker or somewhere in the building there uh, for Troy Hill. Wanted to talk real quickly about the other guy today besides Clowney that the Browns signed. Um, another guy that, that, you know, he was already on the Browns, but they have signed him back. His name's Sheldon Day. He's an interesting guy. 
Defensive tackle, 6'1", 285, age 26. Drafted in the fourth round by Jacksonville in 2016. He played 126 snaps there for a year and a half, or a season and a half, and they waived him. The 49ers picked him up and put him right in the rotation. Now, that's where the connection comes with Joe Woods because at the time, Woods was the DB coach. Sala was the... uh, their defensive coordinator. He played uh, six games for them in their Super Bowl season or Super Bowl appearance season. Uh, so, uh, you know, Day was there, played six games as part of the rotation, 12 solo tackles, four assisted, one sack. That team went to the Super Bowl. Uh, in the offseason, the Colts signed him to a one-year deal. He got hurt. Uh, ended up on the IR and then just the practice squad when he came back, rehabbing that injury. The Browns desi- signed him in December of last year uh, when they were going through the COVID, uh, you know, churning of the bottom of the roster there with all the guys uh, getting laid up there. Uh, and then he ended up on the practice squad. Uh, his contract expired after the season in January. And today, the Browns re-signed him, so they will have him back in camp. He's a guy with some playing experience. He's young. He's 26. You know, he fits that defensive tackle role. Somebody that can be nice competition in camp because uh, he's played. I mean, he's played big downs uh, for San Francisco, familiar with Joe Wood's scheme. So an interesting bring back and one that I like, uh, you know, this uh, guy that was a fourth-round draft pick that – you know, hasn't really panned out, but has played some experience, uh, some big downs in Jacksonville and uh, in uh, um, San Francisco uh, with Day. Final thoughts here tonight. Uh, we talked about the Troy Hill thing. We talked about uh, his thing, uh, Mark's mock. We talked about Jadavian Clowney at the top. Final thoughts on Clowney again. And, and I already talked about this a little bit. But why I think this works for the Browns and why I think Barry loves it is a, you know, he, he's going to fill a role, but once again, top of the AFC mobile quarterbacks, Mahomes, Allen, Jackson, Clowney is a guy that will wreak havoc on your plays, make tackles close to the line of scrimmage, get in the backfield and chase these guys around Make them uncomfortable in the pocket. In order to win playoff time or against the elite teams in the AFC, you're going to face off against these mobile quarterbacks that get through the running lanes, that that beat teams with their legs. Lamar Jackson has done it. Mahomes has done it. Allen has done it. Uh, And and these are the guys that you're going to have to beat to be an elite team. And I think that what he brings as a guy that gets in the backfield and just fucks shit up uh, is huge for the Browns. I mean, he will do that on a regular basis if he's healthy, right? And uh, and I think that's absolutely huge. And and uh, he's going to see one-on-ones all day long, and, and hopefully he can beat up on, on some of those guys and also allows Tack McKinley to be a guy that can – 
you know, if you have a more mobile quarterback in there that can tee off and just go after the quarterback. It allows them to put together some really, really interesting packages with the versatility of Sheldon Richardson and and uh, Malik uh, Jackson. You know, the as far as Charles Robinson's comments on the restructure, uh, you know, I've had tried to, tried to have Charles Robinson on the show a million times. Uh, I just can't ever get a, get him to write me back. But uh, you know, the restructure that he mentions of Sheldon Richardson. Let's see the contract from Clowney may not be necessary. Uh, my favorite free agent target out there once again, Brashad Breland. Love the guy. Hope they would you know kick the tires on him. I don't know if that'll happen or not. Uh, but I I wouldn't be surprised if they see what's out there on the market still at the corner level before the draft. That would just un- unload even more of, of any kind of lean that Barry has to a certain position, like he feels like he needs to address. Like right now I feel it's corner for sure, right? Like I'm all for using draft capital to go up and get an elite corner because I don't, I can't trust Greedy Williams has an availability problem. And let's be honest, so does Denzel Ward. So let's get somebody else in here that can play wide corner. Uh, and I definitely want somebody better than MJ Stewart backing up Troy Hill. Uh, should, you know, he have to, you know, slide outside or get stinged for, uh, you know, a game. Um, this this draft and, you know, this third uh you know, fourth free agency wave, you you know, veteran minimum guys uh, that you can get on deals and stuff like that should allow the Browns to really, really add depth and keep churning the bottom of that roster to make sure that they uh, are putting out an elite, elite roster, which it already is at this point. Let's be real. This clowny signing is huge. So uh, I love it and uh, not too expensive. I said $6 million. 10 with, with incentives ends up being 8, 10 with incentives. So I think that's, that's right in, in the wheelhouse of where the, the Browns were going to go, and, and I'm totally fine with that price for him. Uh, you know, And if he plays and, and takes advantage of some of those incentives, it'll be worth every penny, I think. So, uh, you know, Barry's wanted this guy so badly, and he's got him now, and I think that is absolutely key. Thank you so much for watching All Eyes on Cleveland. Big thanks to Mark Sipis of With the First Pick. He did a tremendous job and loaning his mock, you know, to pick apart. And that's that's always, a, you know, a risky proposition. But uh, he did a great job and handled it well. And uh, we appreciate him coming on the show. We're going to send him an All Eyes on Cleveland t-shirt as well. Uh, I thank you all for commenting tonight. Great contribution from uh, the uh, listeners and watchers here on All Eyes on Cleveland. Hit subscribe on your way out. Um, And uh, we will be back tomorrow night with another show. We probably have an excellent, excellent guest. It's not nailed down yet. We're working on it. Mikey's working on it. You know, we'll get it figured out. But we'll be back with another show tomorrow night, regardless. Love you guys. Go Browns. Thank you for watching. Uh, All Eyes on Cleveland again, presented by Blue Wire Hustle. For Mikey on the ones and twos, my name is Brad Ward. We are out. Mm-hmm.